I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Let's get moving with Maria. Inspiration to spend a few minutes each day to get moving on the small things that can make a big difference in your life. Thank you for joining me today for Let's Get Moving. Today we're going to be talking about being prepared when you go out hiking for those outdoor adventures. With me, Dave Cauley, the creator of The Cold Podcast, the mastermind behind The Cold Podcast, my wonderful colleague and... Many people don't know that you're this incredible outdoor enthusiast, Dave, and uh, you go on incredible adventures almost every weekend. I, <laughs> it might not be every weekend, but yeah, I like to get outside. I find that you know we work in a stressful environment. Uh, news is a is a constantly evolving, changing uh, topic to be covering day in day out. We're dealing in many cases with uh, some very heavy topics. And getting outside and stretching my legs is kind of my way of rebalancing myself. And if I can do that in a you know beautiful location outdoors, um, I feel that it makes my mind better and body better, and then I do better work. And you get to breathe. Yeah, Breathe exactly. for a few minutes a week. Well, we both know how many times, probably every single weekend, we hear of hikers or outdoor enthusiasts that get themselves into some sort of jam. So we thought this was a good chance to really talk about it. I mean, hiking, being outside is such a wonderful thing, but you really do have to be prepared. Pre- preparation is key in a lot of, uh, I guess, aspects of life, but especially if you are planning to go into an environment outdoors where you don't have the the same safety net that you do, you know, in the city. Uh, and in, in Utah and in, in some of the places in the West where we have close access to, to hikes right next to the city, I think it's very easy to get lulled into a sense of, it's not a big deal. I'm just in my backyard. You know, I'm going to take off and, uh, and, and, and hit a trail and I'll be out for 45 minutes and come back home. Uh, but, but really, it's worth taking a moment before you step out the door to just think, okay, if something went wrong, am I prepared to uh, either take care of my own injury? So can, do I have like minor first aid kit with me? Um, am I thinking about what, what, what's the temperature outside? Is it, is, it, is it warm? Am I carrying enough water? Am I going to be, you know, sun exposed the whole time? Uh, if it's going to be too cold, do I have layers that I can put on? You know, if I, if I sweat too much, am I uh, able to basically uh, put something on that will keep me dry? So all of this is, is just to say that be aware of the environment in which you're going in to so that you're taking the appropriate measures beforehand to not end up being one of those people who has to call for help. So kind of walk us through what you do when you start thinking, oh, hey, I'm going to head out this weekend. What are kind of the steps that you take to plan? So it, for me, it obviously begins in the vehicle. I, usually I'm driving to get to a location. So 
uh, I will think about what do I need to have in the car if something were to go wrong, if I were to actually break down and I had to you know, hunker in the car, do I have food, water, uh, shelter, uh, supplies in the car? And then when you're thinking about, okay, I'm going to drive to the trailhead, get out and hike, maybe I'm going to say I'm going to backpack and I'm going to go out for an overnight. What do I need to carry for that overnight? Well, obviously, I'm going to need some way to stay warm and dry when I sleep. Uh, I'm going to need something to eat. I'm going to need water. And if I can't carry enough water with me, uh, some way to filter water or, or clean it if I'm drawing it from like a lake or a stream, something like that, so I'm not being exposed to uh, giardia or some of these you know nasty bugs that are out there. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the forecast. So keep an app on my phone. I, I will look at a, a forecast for the location that I'm going to. And then also keeping in mind that forecasts sometimes are not super accurate. So it might say that it's going to be 90 degrees and sunny for the next three days. Mm, I've spent enough time in the mountains to know that sometimes you get that crazy thunderstorm that pops up. Changes quickly, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Probably going to throw the rain jacket in there just to be safe. Um, You know, in Utah, we have the, the great advantage of having such a variety of terrain. Maybe I'm going to the desert. Maybe I'm going down to Moab. Okay, now I need to really think about there might not be enough water around. Uh, where am I going to be getting that water? Uh, do I have to carry it enough with me? Um, flash flooding, depending on the time of year. You know, is there, is there a risk that I'm going to be in a location where uh, the natural hazards? Uh, so, you know, if I'm say up in the Uintas uh, or in you know high um, mountains anywhere, I'm thinking about mm, lightning. If I'm in the desert, what is my flash flood risk? Am I going to be in you know a narrow canyon? Just uh, kind of working through in my mind before I get to that place, what are the risks that I might face? How can I mitigate those? And then sometimes it's a matter of saying, you know what, I'm not comfortable with the amount of risk. Uh, Maybe I'm going out by myself and I'm thinking if I get into a bad spot, uh, it it could go really wrong because I don't have anybody to help me out. Maybe this isn't the weekend to do some big epic thing. Maybe it's a nice weekend to, you know, walk uh, something like the Bonneville Shoreline Trail that's that's closer to home, that's closer to safety, and, and kind of playing it safe that way. You know, I know when I was younger that we would just head up, you know, Big Cottonwood Canyon, and we'd just go off on a trail. We wouldn't tell anybody we were going. It was just like, oh, hey, we're out of school early. Let's go up and hike. And we wouldn't have water or anything. It's almost like you have to think of, hey, I want to do this right now, but you have to kind of think of the worst-case scenario. Right. Right? And, and, and you're not obviously going to run into that worst case scenario very often. And in many cases, I think what happens is we learn through our experiences. So uh, I very clearly remember a situation about 10 years ago, like, just like you say, I, I went up, um, I went up to, uh, I'm trying to remember which, I think it was Big Cotton. No, it was Big Cottonwood. I went up to uh, Lake Blanche, mm-hmm. uh, Sundial Peak, and and had a great day up there, but I didn't bring enough water and I didn't have anything to treat the water. And uh, ended up being in full sun all day and, and just, it was fine until I was hiking down and I started, uh, feeling weak, getting a little lightheaded and uh, a little confused. And, and it really quickly escalated into a fairly dangerous case of heat exhaustion where I got back to my car and realized I'm in the danger zone here. Like this could really quickly turn into something bad if I don't hydrate and cool down. Thankfully, I have a, a sister who lives right at the mouth of the canyon. I, I zipped down the canyon, got to her house, and and, and put myself in a in a cold bath and mm-hmm. kind of got back. But it was a it was a lesson to me saying, okay, you flirted with danger here, and so next time, what can you do to not 
put yourself in that situation. So, uh, you know, I'm going to throw on a big floppy hat if I'm out in the sun, give myself uh, a bit of a break. I'm going to not push myself so hard, you know, cranking up a, a steep hill like that hike is if it's, you know, 95 degrees outside. Right. And uh, and just kind of, again, thinking through how do I not put myself in that situation. Right. And if you are one of those people that do want to do that spur of the moment hike, make sure you have the hat in the car, sunscreen, one of your big water bottles or, or whatever. At least, you know, if you know that you're apt to do that, just, you know, on the spur of the moment, have some of those things in your vehicle. Have them in your vehicle. And also be honest with yourself about uh, what is your level of, and I, and I want to be careful here, not to say that People who aren't physically fit can't do these things, but don't necessarily jump into the deep end for your first. If you've swim not been on pool. a hike in ten years, yeah. you might want to think about a shorter hike. Work your way up around several Silver Lake or something. We, I think social media <laughs> has an effect here, where we see right. uh, photos, and I'm guilty of this. You, you see photos of these amazing places that are that are surrounding us in the natural world, and. Uh, one of the great advantages we have living in the West is that is that ability to get out and enjoy it. I mean, it's why so many of us live these active lifestyles. Um, but when I see somebody post a photo and I go, wow, that looks amazing. I want to go there. Sometimes I have to be honest with myself in saying, am I at a, am I at a place right now where I am physically prepared to do, say, a you know, 15, 20 mile hike in the heat uh, to get to this location, or do I really need to condition my body by doing, you know, shorter hikes, building up to that before I can just launch out on some right. grand adventure? Right. So, talk for a minute about water uh, water filtration devices. Mm. Have you? Have, do they work for you? I mean, they just sound scary to me, honestly. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Yeah. Do they work for you? They they do, but they are a hassle. And I think what you find is. Everyone has to work out what is the system that works best for them. There are a number of different kind of technologies, I mm-hmm. guess you'd say, available. Uh, in the simplest sense, there's there's filtration. And for me, this what, this goes back to a hand pump. I mean, you would stick a, a hose in the dirty water. You'd stick a hose into your bottle. And then you literally just work a, a pump to suck it through a filter uh, and fill up your bottle. It's slow. It's tedious. When you're tired, a lot of times it's not something you want to do. And so... Maybe you're not encouraged to uh, filter your water that way. I personally use uh, a gravity filter most of the time, which is the same concept. You're running uh, dirty water through a filter into your bottle, but uh, instead of having to pump, you're actually hanging a bag full of uh, the dirty water up high. Gravity pulls it through the filter, and that way you can just sit back and let it filter while you do something else. Um, A lot of people like to use, and I have used uh, UV, ultraviolet light, uh, so there are little devices. Uh, the brand that's most popular is SteriPen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can put that in a bottle. You swirl it around, and that UV light basically inactivates, uh, deactivates the, or scrambles the DNA for the the little nasty things that would make you sick. Uh, They're in that water. It's effective. Um, what that doesn't do is if you're drawing from a questionable water source, let's say something that's got scum or something, uh, it's it's not going to help. It's going to taste bad if it, you know. So there are some trade-offs there. Uh, chemical filter, it's not filtration, but chemical treatment. Uh, you can use, you know, iodine tablets or there are some other uh, similar products where you, you put drops in. 
You have to let that sit usually for an amount of time for it to uh, be effective, and it can give water a bit of a, a, a an unpleasant taste. Uh, and then the, the old tried and true is boiling. Um, so say you you know are in a situation where you've got a nice camp set up, you've got a camp stove, you can actually draw water out of you know say a lake or a stream and uh, run that up to a good boil long enough that it's going to you know kill off any of those again those little nasty bugs in there. Uh, downside of that is obviously now you have extremely hot water. I have you, to wait for it to cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that can be an advantage if, uh, if it's going to be a cold night and you're overnighting. You know, you can take that, uh, that warm water, put it in a bottle, throw it at the bottom of your sleeping bag, and it'll help keep your oh, feet warm. nice. Uh, and then in the morning, it will have cooled off enough that you could use it for whatever you want it oh, to. Yeah. But if yeah, it's a little bit of time, right? If it's a hot summer day, you know, you're probably not going to be uh, making, you know, boiling hot tea on the side of the trail. Right. So, so I've seen you do some pretty extravagant um, hikes. Mm. How do you prepare so you don't get lost? What Are you using apps? I mean, what are you doing so you're not getting lost? lost I mean, this this is a whole topic in and of itself. For me, I am a bit of a nerd when it comes to studying maps and trails and terrain. Uh, and then reading the the situation on the ground and kind of uh, correlating the, the mental map that you built studying beforehand with, with what you see on the ground. Um, and it's a skill that gets built up over time. You know, I go back to when I was a Boy Scout. They taught us how to uh, orienteer using map and compass. Sure. Very few people do that anymore. Um, and if I if I had to, I could do that, but it would take me a long time to like <laughs> do it right. More more likely, what most people are dealing with nowadays is um, probably they're using an app on their phone. Uh, I personally use a couple of different sources for for maps. Uh, There's an app that I use called Gaia GPS that allows me to use um, topographic maps. So maps that show not just like streets and cities, but uh, the physical landscape, the contours of, you know, elevation and where streams and and forest cover, that kind of stuff are. Um, uh, Another, there's a website called Caltopo or uh, Caltopo that um, provides similar maps. And you can, you can actually build routes and waypoints and import them into your smartphone and and use those on the ground. The trick to that is having that map on your phone doesn't help you if you don't know how to read it. And you also have to be aware that sometimes GPS is is unreliable. Right. I was going to say, do you always have a connection? I mean, what happens if your phone doesn't have a connection? Right. So the way way GPS works is, uh, you know, a lot of us, we, we know that our phone can locate us. We don't know how it works. It's useful to understand that the way GPS works is you have uh, satellites in orbit around the Earth in what are uh, called geosynchronous. So they basically Mm -hmm. stay over the same place over the globe at any time. And they are emitting a a radio signal on a fixed time interval. And your device can uh, receive those signals. And it knows the locations of those satellites. And based on the amount of time for that radio wave to go from the satellite to your device, um, and with multiple signals coming in, it can do the math to basically figure out, aha, it, it took uh, this long for one signal reach. It took uh, another time frame for the second signal's reach. And uh, can thereby That's amazing how complex right? that really is. Uh, so, so the great thing about it, though, is you don't need cell phone service for this to work because ah. your device is just a receiver. It right. just, um, it just is, is receiving these signals that are sent out. 
problem is when you're, say, in like southern Utah, uh, say you go to Zion National Park and you're up in the Narrows. Well, now you have just a sliver of sky overhead and your device can't see those other satellites. And so what happens is uh, as the number of of satellites available in the sky diminishes, the accuracy of your GPS goes down until ultimately it can't find you at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and and people will get in trouble because they are so reliant on their GPS that when their GPS doesn't work, now what what do they do? They're lost. Right. Uh, so there's a little bit of, of I think, art in uh, being able to look at a landscape, understand, um, you know, if you're looking at a map, can you see where a mountain is on the map and see it in the real world and, and correlate, but, you know, those two things. Um, so... <laughs> It, it's a skill that's built up over time. I would say do your homework, research the natural features of the area that you're going into. Try to understand, you know, where is this trail in relation to maybe some roads or streams, um, uh, peaks that you can use to orient yourself if your device ends up um, failing you for whatever reason. Oftentimes when we hear something went badly, it's somebody who got themselves in a spot that they didn't know was there and they can't get out. Yeah, how do you yeah. avoid that situation? I mean, sometimes they're experts. Right. Uh, anybody, so anybody can find themselves in trouble. Uh, it's, in fact, sometimes it's people who are most experienced who are pushing the limits who end up in trouble because they uh, maybe become overconfident and underestimate the risk because you've gone out nine times and had no problem and it's the tenth time that, that you run into problems. Um, I think a very common situation that we see with search and rescue in Utah is people who uh, get what they call cliffed out. So you're hiking, you maybe go off trail to to, uh, run up to a spot where you can get a scenic photo, and it's easier to go up than it is to come down. You hike up maybe, and then suddenly you realize, ooh, I'm at the top of a steep cliff. I can't get safely back down here. Now what do I do? Um, the the easiest way to not get in that situation is think forward. Uh, before I go up any slope, I'm going to ask myself, how am I going to get back down this? Is this going to be a problem to get you know, uh, back down if I go up? And if the answer is, uh, I don't know, don't go up. Make, make the choice. You know, err on the side of safety. Um, some people say know how uh, based on experience. They have the, the skills to safely descend uh, and they'll go, yeah, not a problem. I'll go up and come back down. That's fine. Um, you know, it's a matter of pride for me to not need to call search and rescue. <laughs> At the same time, I'm grateful they are there. Honestly, it's true. Uh, and yeah. and I carry a I carry a, a, a GPS signaling device. So if I do run into a situation like that, you know what? If if you're in a situation where you feel unsafe and the 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 trade off is Maybe being a bit embarrassed calling 911 or signaling for help versus injuring or killing yourself, trying to uh, extract yourself from a dangerous situation, take the embarrassment. You know, do do what you need to do to stay safe. Right. Um, so, that yeah, that would be my advice. Think ahead and then be willing to admit when you've got yourself in a bad situation, accept the help to get it out. You know, if somebody happens by and says, hey, uh, you look like you're having a difficult time. Do you need, you know, some extra water? Or can I point you in the right direction? Don't be so proud as to go, no, I'm fine. I got it. Um, because we're all out there hopefully looking out for one another. Right. Right. Okay. I want to go back to one thing that you said about conditioning. So 
Now, I know that you do hikes, and we should talk about cold, too. We've been talking Mm -hmm. about hot, but you like to go on some of these excursions in the middle of winter. So you have to be aware of cold as well. Yeah, and I mean, again, here we are in, in, in Utah where you have skiing snowboarding, uh, people who go out and, you know, really venture out into extreme cold um, during the the winter months. And really a lot of that comes down to how you dress. Are you layering appropriately? Uh, For me, you know, uh, there's an adage that says cotton kills. And the reason people say that is cotton, when it gets wet, takes a very long time to dry. And it really doesn't do a very good job of insulating you when it's wet. So that means for me, I'm typically going to be wearing synthetics and or wool, and I'm going to layer those so that as my body is working, if I'm you know physically exerting myself, uh, say I'm snowshoeing and you're tromping through deep snow, your body is burning calories, is generating heat. And believe it or not, even though it might be you know 15 or 20 degrees, you are sweating. Oh, you get wet. You are Definitely. sweating, right? Yeah. So if I'm if I'm doing that, if I'm generating heat, I'm stripping those layers off because I want that that sweat to evaporate so that my clothes don't soak because the second I stop moving, now it's like having ice next to my skin. Uh so I want I want fabrics that wick moisture away, that help it evaporate into the air that don't hold it against my body. Uh, I want to be able to layer. So instead of like one big heavy coat, maybe I'm going to do a lightweight base layer followed by a fleece, followed by a shell. Uh, I'm going to think about, you know, wearing a a cap uh, because of the heat loss out of my head. If it's really cold, I might be wearing something over my face. Um, Interestingly enough, where a lot of people get into trouble when it comes to hypothermia is not below freezing. It's in kind of this mid-zone between, say, like 40 and 50 degrees, where you wouldn't think cold Mm. would be such a danger. And I think the general consensus on why that is because uh, it's very easy to go out and and be active in in that kind of temperature, but you go out, you work up a sweat, you stop moving, and maybe there's a little breeze, and the second you stop moving and your body starts to cool down, you don't realize it, but you're kind of entering the risk zone. Um, And if you don't have food to help your body burn calories if you if you don't kind of get up and and keep moving it, people can and do die from hypothermia in in you know 40 degree 45 degree temperatures right so one thing about conditioning so say you haven't been out for quite some time what do you do to prepare for a long hike i try i'm so i'm not i'm not the poster child for physical fitness <laughs> Uh, but, but I try to, especially like during the winter, if I know springtime, I'm going to want to, to do some, some backpacking or some longer hikes, I'm going to try to do some, some running or jogging or even just walking, uh, during the colder months so that I keep my body used to the experience of just, you know, the change in temperatures, it's a lot cooler and it's a lot different to walk in cold weather than it is is. hot weather. And I just, I just want, I want my muscles to be, uh, familiar with kind of that, um, that process of putting step after step. Yeah. Whatever season. Right. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, if I'm planning on a a big long hike, say I'm going up to the mountains to do uh, a backpacking trip. Now I have to think about 
elevation uh, because in the West we have, you know, access to some amazing scenery, but sometimes that's, you know, 10, 12,000 feet in elevation. The air up there is going to be thinner than it is down here at, uh, you know, uh, for us in Salt Lake, about 4,400 feet. And your body is going to work harder because you're doing aerobic exercise uh, to get enough oxygen into your into your blood. So that means you're going to be having a higher heart rate. You're going to be respirating more. So if I know I'm going into that environment, maybe uh, a weekend or two before that, I'm going to bring myself up to higher elevation, do some shorter hikes so that my body is getting attuned to that lower oxygen atmosphere. Uh, and so that if then I go out on, say, a you know, four or five day, it's not as big a shock to jump into that into that environment. Right. Okay, you told us at the beginning why you do it, because it allows you kind of an escape and to see some beautiful scenery, and you're also a photographer. You right. take a lot of beautiful pictures. Um, well, why would you tell people this is something that they should try? Sure. The natural world is something that I think we are, as human beings, just hardwired to feel connected to in a way, uh, especially for those of us who who spend a lot of our time in the city, who work in office buildings. Uh, I strongly believe that for mental health, it is a it is a very good thing to be reminded that not everything in this world is made out of glass and concrete. And it puts the human experience into perspective when you go out into the wild and when you see other life in the natural environment. Uh, you know, witnessing wildlife is one of my favorite things. And it's, it's such a humbling experience to see, you know, grizzly bears up in, in Yellowstone or Glacier or to... Uh, even in, you know, Big Cottonwood Canyon to go up and see these moose that are, are chilling around, you know, Silver Lake or wherever. And just be reminded that that we are part of a larger world and that, uh, you know, we come from the wild and the wild is still here. And it is uh, it is a, just a reminder, I think, of something very deep and primal in, in, in the human experience to uh, be able to set foot into those kinds of places. Do you carry bear spray? Uh, depending on where I am, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, I just uh, a week or so ago was up in Glacier National Park doing some backpacking with my sister and uh, carried the bear spray. It's a place where I've uh, come very near to a, a mama and cubs in years past. And thankfully, I've never <laughs> had to deploy the bear spray, but uh, better. You made lots of noise on the hike. So right? <laughs> scare them off, yeah. Yelling, hey, bear. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, re, you know, respect wildlife, but but not wanting to venture too close. Okay. So I've been talking with Dave Colley, the creator of The Cold Podcast. What have you got coming up? A win? Can <laughs> we see some more um, from you? Oh, that's the question. Um, I'm currently working on season two of Cold. Uh, so for anybody that's not familiar, uh, Cold is the, the season one is the story of Susan Powell, her disappearance from West Valley City, Utah, back in December of 2009. Um it did well enough that thankfully the the folks who greenlit that said may we have another. Um, we're not ready yet to talk about what case we're focusing on yet for season two, but uh, hard at work on 
on the research part of that, and hopefully within you know the next uh, number of months, we'll we'll have something to All right. report there. We're looking forward to season two. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Maria.